48K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Sean Kennedy. Tonight's headlines. All pan-Democrat lawmakers threaten to resign if Beijing moves to disqualify any of them from LegCo. Police make an arrest, make a new arrest in a national security case involving former members of a pro-independence group. And pharmaceutical firm Pfizer says its coronavirus vaccine is more than 90% effective in large-scale trials. Pan-Democratic lawmakers say they'll resign en masse if Beijing moves to have any of them disqualified. They were responding to reports that the Standing Committee of the National People's Congress is set to oust four of them on the grounds that they violated their oaths of office. Violet Wong has the story. 19 pandems told a press conference that if Beijing moves to oust any of them, they will all go. Here's Democratic Party Chairman Wu Qiwai. It's totally ridiculous. It's basically reflect their ruthless and they are irresponsible to the basic laws. So all of our members will have a massive vaccinations if the disqualified of our job is really being implemented. There have been multiple reports that the MPCSC will be disqualifying four pandems, Elvin Young, Dennis Kwok, Kwok Ka Kee and Kenneth Leung, and that it would accuse them of violating their oaths of office by filibustering meetings. But the pandemics say they have been making use of the council's rules of procedure to carry out their duties as lawmakers. Civic Party lawmaker Dennis Kwok says Beijing's intentions are clear. They cannot tolerate opposition in the Legislative Council. They are adamant in getting rid of all opposition in the Legislative Council. And they are adamant in getting rid of all Democrats, not simply from LegCo. It seems from the whole of Hong Kong even. And this is a serious departure from the original spirit of one country, two systems, and also the provisions of the basic law. Earlier this year, the four legislators were also barred from seeking re-election in the polls later for September, with returning officers ruling that the lawmakers would not uphold the basic law. Last week, pro-Beijing legislators demanded that the authorities take action to remove members of the pro-democracy camp from LegCo because of their repeated quorum calls during meetings. Some called for disqualifications, while others urged police to investigate whether the pandemics were breaching the national security law by slowing down LegCo's work. Officers from the police's National Security Department have arrested a 34-year-old man in connection with an investigation into teenager Tony Chung and two other people linked to the pro-Hong Kong independence group Student Localism. Priscilla Ng has details. Student Localism said on its social media accounts that the arrest involves another of its former members, Tim Look, and that he's suspected of assisting fugitives. Police have confirmed they arrested a man with that surname in Yunlong, saying their investigation is linked to last month's arrests of Tony Chung and others under the national security law. Mr. Chung, who's 19, was arrested near the U.S. consulate in Central, with reports suggesting he was hoping to file a claim for asylum. The former convener of student localism was charged with secession, while two others linked to the group, Yanni Ho and William Chan, weren't charged with any offense and were released on bail. When the national security law was implemented at the end of June, student localism announced that it would cease to operate in Hong Kong, but said its members overseas would continue their activities. 
The American pharmaceutical giant Pfizer says its experimental coronavirus vaccine has shown itself to be more than 90% effective in preventing infections. The findings are based on the first results of a Phase 3 vaccine trial. Pfizer's chief executive, Albert Bourla, said it marked a great day for science and for humanity. The BBC's Palab Ghosh reports. If it's approved by regulators, Pfizer has promised to make 100 million doses available worldwide this year and 1.3 billion the next. The vaccine has been made using a completely new approach. The traditional method is to inject a dead or weakened virus to train the body's immune system to fight off the disease. The new mRNA vaccine sends genetic instructions to produce the immune response. The advantage is that it can be produced much faster and in larger quantities. It's not clear how long immunity lasts. That question can only be answered once a vaccine is rolled out to the general population. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is five minutes past 11. The Pfizer announcement has led to some big rises on financial markets around the world. More details from the BBC's Andrew Walker. An effective vaccine will have a central role in the return to normal business activity. Pfizer's claim of 90% effectiveness made many investors feel that prospect seems a good deal closer, although the vaccine's success is not yet assured. Travel companies such as hotels and airlines have been especially hard hit by a loss of business due to the pandemic and have most to gain from getting it under control. Their share prices rose very strongly. Contracts linked to the US markets suggest that New York will mirror the strong gains that have already occurred in Europe. Beijing has yet to congratulate Joe Biden on his victory in the US presidential election. China and Russia are among several nations that have not yet formally acknowledged Mr Biden's success. Foreign Ministry spokesman Wang Wenbin said the country will take a stance in accordance with international practices. He spoke through an interpreter at the regular press conference. We noticed that... Mr. Biden has declared election victory. We understand that the presidential election result will be determined following the U.S. laws and procedures. China's statement, we will follow international customary practices. And regarding China-U.S. relations, we always believe that China and the United States should enhance communication and a dialogue, manage differences on the basis of mutual respect, expand cooperation on the basis of mutual benefit and promote sound and stable development of bilateral relations. Taiwan says obstruction by Beijing prevented it from attending a key World Health Organization meeting focused on the coronavirus. The island accused the global body of prioritizing politics over health. Vicky Wong has more. The foreign ministry in Taipei says the WHO's decision not to invite Taiwan to its annual assembly was a result of political considerations. The meeting is due to resume virtually today after being cut short by the pandemic in May. In a statement, Taipei expressed deep regrets and strong dissatisfaction over what it calls China's obstruction of the island's participation. The statement goes on to say, as the world is still under serious threat of the COVID-19 pandemic, it is an irony to the health for all goal under the WHO charter to exclude Taiwan. Taipei attended the annual assembly between 2009 and 2016 as an observer under the name Chinese Taipei. But Beijing has blocked its participation since the 2016 election of President Tsai Ing-wen, who has refused to acknowledge the island is part of one China. The island has enjoyed strong success in combating the pandemic, with only seven deaths and fewer than 600 confirmed cases. 
An infectious disease expert has urged Taipo residents to minimise social activities and avoid dining out after the district saw a number of untraceable coronavirus infections. The Medical Association's Dr Joseph Chung told RTHK that Taipo residents could also try working from home for a few weeks. And he said private doctors should advise any Taipo residents they see with respiratory symptoms to get tested for COVID-19. What we need to do right now is to urge the people in Taipo be alert, stay vigilant, uh, keep observe their personal hygiene, try as much as they can to avoid eating outside, dining outside, minimize their social uh, life activities as much as possible. In the meantime, they can also discuss with their employers whether they are allowed to work at home instead in the, re- in the coming one to two weeks' time. And there were lo- long queues for free COVID tests in Taipo today, as Wendy Wong reports. There have been long queues in Taipo as the government set up three coronavirus testing stations to collect saliva specimens from residents. At one of the testing stations in Kuangfuk Estate, a 90-year-old man was the first in line. He said he's worried about getting infected. He said he arrived half an hour before the facility opened at 10 a.m. Another resident said she's worried too because her family are always out and about in the district. Health officials have warned that there might be silent transmission of the coronavirus in Taipo as some cases with unknown sources recently emerged in the area. Wong Lei Po from the testing agency commissioned by the government said residents' response is enthusiastic. He says staff could collect 80 saliva specimens every hour and residents would receive test messages notifying them of their test results the day after. Two other testing stations have been set up at Fuxin Estate and Wai Chun in Taipo. They will operate until Wednesday. Health officials reported six new COVID-19 cases today, all imported. The West Kowloon Court has dismissed former pro-democracy lawmaker Ray Chan's private prosecution against pro-Beijing lawmaker Kwok Wai Kung after the Department of Justice intervened in the common assault case. Mr Chan had accused Mr Kwok of assaulting him during a chaotic House committee meeting in May where scuffles broke out between rival camps over the election of a chair. A lawyer representing the Department of Justice told the court it would offer no evidence for the summons against Mr Kwok and asked the court to withdraw the case. A reporter has appeared in court charged with resisting police officers as they carried out their duties following a protest in May. The journalist was arrested in a public toilet in Mongkok. Timmy Sung reports. Ho Ka Yun, who is 27, works for the online media outlet Banyu Entertainment. She was arrested in toilets in Sai Yi Street after a protest on Mother's Day. Her lawyer told Kowloon City Court that the police had used excessive violence during her arrest. Around the time of the alleged incident, Ms Ho had told the media that she witnessed two women being arrested in the toilets and that riot officers had grabbed her camera, pepper sprayed her and knelt on her neck until she lost consciousness. No plea was entered and the magistrate adjourned the case to December the 29th. Ms Ho was released on bail of $2,500 and was ordered to report to the police every day. Police say they've neutralised an illegal bookmaking syndicate that allegedly collected debts through the popular online payment platform Faster Payment System, or FPS. Timmy Sung has details. Officers say the alleged syndicate recruited jobless people in Shamshui Po to open virtual bank accounts, found punters online and collected bets from them through the FPS platform. 
The system, introduced by the Hong Kong Monetary Authority in 2018, allows people to send and receive money instantly using just their mobile phone numbers or email addresses. Officers say this is the first illegal bookmaking case thought to have used FPS in this way. 22 people, including the alleged mastermind, have been arrested, and some $10 million in cash and assets were seized. Officers say more arrests may be made later. They believed the syndicate had collected around $500 million in illegal bets in just the past several months. Debate is heating up between management and Labour over a government decision not to move ahead with the scrapping of the so-called MPF offsetting mechanism for the time being. Wendy Wong has this report. Management and Labour agreed in principle two years ago that the MPF offsetting mechanism should be scrapped. Now Bill 10 of the Federation of Trade Unions expressed disappointment with the government's announcement that it would not introduce an amendment bill relating to the matter to LegCo until its next term. Officials say more time is needed to study the issue. Mr Tan said MPF contributions worth $1.5 billion had already been used by companies to cover workers' severance and long service payments in the first quarter of the year during the first COVID-19 outbreak. He expects the figure would climb as more companies close down or lay off staff moving forward. The MPF offsetting mechanism allows employers to use their contributions to cover worker severance and long service payments. The veteran union list said he's worried the government is under pressure from the business sector to keep the mechanism in place. Liberal Party leader Felix Chung said it's better to reconsider or delay the whole proposal under the current business climate. The business sector is having a very tough time. We are talking about whether we can still survive or not. He said he doesn't believe the proposal could be passed within the current term of the government. The government has made it clear that the aviation rights released by the now defunct Cathay Dragon may not necessarily go back to Cathay Pacific. The flag carrier shut down its regional subsidiary last month as part of an aggressive cost-cutting, a massive cost-cutting drive. At a special panel meeting in Legco, government officials were asked about the aviation rights. A Deputy Secretary for Transport and Housing, Wallace Lau, said all Hong Kong registered airlines could apply for the routes. He spoke through an interpreter. We would consider factors such as um, whether Hong Kong's status as an aviation hub could benefit and overall factors, and then we would look to allocate such rights. So basically, it is not a given that Cathay Pacific can secure all the relevant rights of Cathay Dragon. And a reminder of our top stories tonight. All pan-Democrat lawmakers threaten to resign if Beijing moves to disqualify any of them from LegCo. Police make a new arrest in a national security case involving former members of a pro-independence group. And Beijing holds off congratulating Joe Biden. The news from RTHK. It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's Newswrap programme. An infectious diseases expert is urging Taipo residents to minimise social activities and consider working from home for the next week or two. The advice from Dr Joseph Chung of the Hong Kong Medical Association comes as health officials reported six imported coronavirus cases today. However, there are concerns there may be silent transmission in Taipo after the district recorded nine COVID-19 cases in the past week. Seven of them were linked to a group who went to Lantau last month for a staycation, but the source of infection is unclear. 
Dr Chan told Wendy Wong that Taipo residents have to be very alert. As long as you cannot figure out the origins of those cases, uh, this is somehow an alert uh, to the Taipo area as well as to the Hong Kong government. So what we need to do right now is to urge the people in Taipo be alert, stay vigilant, uh, keep observe their personal hygiene, try as much as they can to avoid eating outside, dining outside, minimize their social uh, life activities as much as possible. In the meantime, they can also discuss with their employers whether they are allowed to work at home instead in the, re- in the coming one to two weeks' time. For the government, I think they can at least to uh, pop up some uh, centers for uh, doing those uh, viral testings um, so as to uh, facilitate um, the people in Taipo to have more testings, uh, increase the volume, increase the amount, so as to pick up uh, those silent cases. Do you mean that residents in Taipo should stay at home as much as possible? It's quite difficult because a lot of people live in that area. Yeah, this is somehow uh, I advocate. Just in case uh, you are really worried about the situations that happen in Taipo, because right now we do have untraceable cases without any origin, without any identifiable source. So that should be somehow very worrying to some of the people uh, living in Daibo. They have to be very alert, try to minimize uh, dining out, especially in Daibo area, because we all know that whenever we take off our masks, the likelihood of getting infections will somehow be increased. So this is something that I will advise people for the coming one to two weeks time. But of course, uh, you may argue uh, whether uh, people should still continue to work, uh, going going out for work. So it's subject to the agreement in between the employers and the employee. If they worry about this issue, you can temporarily arrange the nature of their jobs. Uh, I mean, staying at home to carry out their jobs. Uh, I think this is also possible until the whole picture of Daibo somehow we know uh, it is um, just only episodic cases. It's not a genuine uh, overall outbreak happen in Daibo. Hong Kong-made products destined for the United States now have to be labelled as made in China under new regulations that came into force today. The requirement was mandated by incumbent U.S. President Donald Trump back in June, with the White House saying Beijing's crackdown on Hong Kong's pro-democracy movement meant the SAR was no longer sufficiently autonomous to warrant special trade privileges. But a local business group says it's banking on President-elect Joe Biden to roll back Mr. Trump's series of trade sanctions and anti-China policies once he takes over in January. Danny Lau, the honorary chairman of the Hong Kong Small and Medium Enterprises Association, spoke to Priscilla Ng. Right now, after three months, almost three months now, mm-hmm. and um, the manufacturers, they, they already changed the label. That costs relatively small. But um, if U.S. they impose the extra tariff for Hong Kong products, that will be uh, affected significantly. So are you expecting that to happen anytime soon? Before, yes. Mm-hmm. But after Joe Biden uh, is in place, I, I think that they will uh, keep it as uh, uh, existing uh, situation. And in the longer run, you know, just now you said that you're optimistic that Joe Biden will not make things even worse. Uh, are you expecting, you know, Sino-U.S. trade tension to ease even further? Yes, I will, I will expect to, to, to say that. Because you can see uh, Joe plans to push forward anti-Trump's policy. So he is establishing an 
epidemic uh, committee to resolve the, the epidemic uh, crisis. And he considers to, to rejoin the WHO and the World uh, Environmental Protection Organization. So Joe is doing something that different from uh, Trump. And I believe there is a chance that uh, Made in Hong Kong Labour will appear in US again. Australia's biggest news organisations and editorial staff members have gone on trial on charges they breached the 2018 gag order on coverage of Cardinal George Powell's now-quashed sex crimes convictions. The accused faced potential prison sentences if found guilty of being in contempt of court, while the media companies could be slapped with fines. RTHK's Australia correspondent Jerry Gannon gave Anna-Marie Evans more details about the case. At the core of this is the fact that George Pell is Australia's top cleric in the Catholic Church and indeed a close confidant of the Pope. So it was a massive news story when he was, first of all, when he was charged and then when he was convicted. Now, the reason that his conviction was kept quiet by the court, by order of the court, was because he was also facing further charges a bit further down the track. But of course, the the media was anxious to uh, break what would have been the biggest story of the day, but they didn't. And while the newspapers actually had a front page which was completely blacked out except for the word censored, and another broadcaster actually suggested to listeners that they go search on Google for an item of interest. So the Washington Post and the Daily Beast in the meantime, they were not subject to the court order because, of course, they're international publications. So they published, and of course, because the world has been shrinking and getting smaller by the day, it was easy to uh, find out that it was Cardinal George Pell who was convicted and therefore named in the story. So that was back in 2018. That that, um, conviction, by the way, has since been quashed by the courts. George Pell has returned to Rome. I believe he's uh, still there. But now there are 30 respondents to this charge, 12 corporations and 18 individual journalists. And this trial is likely to go on for three weeks. So what happens now that they're directly, these journalists, the media corporations are accused of what? They're accused of basically of breaking the confidentiality that the court had imposed on them. So they're basically accused of breaking an embargo effectively. So now the interesting thing is that it's taken this length of time we, we were expecting that this would happen, but we were expecting it to have happened much earlier than this. Now, I'm not too sure about the success of this. It's very hard to judge after day one. And as I said, you know, there are still three weeks to run. But the judge himself said, quote, I just don't understand why after two years since this case started that we don't have a clear list of the documents being tendered. He said, I just find this unbelievable. So even the judge is not quite sure if everybody's got their ducks in a row for this case. Alex Trebek, the longtime presenter of the US television programme Jeopardy, has died at the age of 80. The BBC's Peter Goffin looks back at his life and legacy. He was a beloved TV personality who hosted more than 8,000 episodes of a hit quiz show. The response we were looking for was, who is 
Alex Trebek. Jeopardy! might seem an unlikely success for the modern TV landscape. A trivia program with a twist, where contestants are given an answer and have to come up with the correct question. This Kellogg's cereal encourages you to show your stripes. Anne-Marie. What are Frosted Flakes? Yes. But under the guidance of Alex Trebek, Jeopardy! became a cultural phenomenon, a nightly program that fans could not miss. His rejoinder to contestants, please rephrase that in the form of a question, became an internationally famous and often imitated catchphrase. The show had been on the air for 20 years before Trebek took over in 1984, but he quickly made it his own. A Canadian-born broadcasting veteran, he exuded a quick-witted and gentlemanly charm. His personal style would change over the years, but his classic image of the 80s and 90s, a neat mustache and double-breasted suits, is burned into the pop culture consciousness of America. And he wasn't afraid to undercut his viewer-friendly persona with a comedic edge, even if it came at the expense of contestants. If you guys <laughs> ring in and get this one, I will die. <laughs> in March 2019, Trebek announced he'd been diagnosed with stage 4 pancreatic cancer. And he did so with his usual dignity and sense of humor. I plan to beat the low survival rate statistics for this disease. Truth told, I have to, because under the terms of my contract, I have to host Jeopardy for three more years. So help me, keep the faith, and we'll win. Months later, with a returning winner on a roll, Jeopardy averaged a staggering 13 million viewers a night, its highest ratings in over a decade. Alex Trebek worked until the end of his life. His final day in studio was in late October, and his final episodes of Jeopardy! will air next month. The future of the program is now uncertain. But whatever happens, Alex Trebek will remain the archetypal TV presenter and favorite quiz master for generations of Americans. Operation Santa Claus 2020 is underway and we're raising money for 19 worthy causes. One of them is a sports program for young people with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and their carers run by the inspiring HK Sports Foundation. Radio 3's Karen Coe spoke to the foundation's Christine Fung to find out more. Hi, I'm Christine. I'm from Inspiring Hong Kong Sports Foundation. So I'm a sports lover myself, so hence I'm in a sports charity. We were founded in 2012 and our vision is to serve better youth through sports. There are four pillars that we do. First of all, uh, to increase social mobility of the underprivileged. So we hope to, um, through long-term sport training programs, we level the playing ground for them and give them opportunities to go into sports. And secondly, for gender equality, we hope that girls uh, would participate in sports more because generally uh, we have a lower female sports participation, not just in Hong Kong, but globally as well. And third, for social inclusion, we hope to include people with uh, special educational needs or uh, if they um, are of different races uh, or from ethnic minorities, they should also have an equal opportunity and access to sports. And of course, healthy lifestyle for mass general in Hong Kong. 
So co-adventure is the project that uh, I have designed in mind. Uh, co means co-learning. So it's one of its kind of uh, the caretakers of youths and also youth to co-learn sports together. So uh, it, it's never been done in Hong Kong. It's quite uh, an, an, a new project. And adventure, the ADD actually stands for uh, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder Youth. So it's one of the eight kinds of uh, students with special educational needs in Hong Kong. Um, this project is actually heavily inspired by my family because I have a brother who has uh, ADHD as well. Um, so this project is a long-term training program for the parents and students to, to come together and learn together. It's a six-month program, so the student and also the caretaker is supposed to attend the classes together. So uh, three times per month, it's a physical meetup. They will come together and learn different kind of sports, uh, not just high-intensity uh, classes like boxing, um, but also like group classes such as rugby, football. And at the same time, we want to make sure that they're mindful and we introduce yoga and meditation to them as well. We love Operation Santa Claus. I mean, it's an initiative based on starting in Christmas, but of course it extends beyond just a Christmas gift. All, all the kids love Christmas, but for them, I think it's just uh, more than a physical present. But instead, you know, if they're more active, if they have a better family bonding with their, with their parents, uh, it's actually a better gift. You know, we always say that health is wealth. So not just a physical gift that they're getting. We're, we want to go beyond that. And that was Christine Fung from the Inspiring Hong Kong Sports Foundation. If you want to know more or wish to make a donation to Operation Santa Claus 2020, visit our website at osc.scmp.com. Those stories were part of the Newswrap program, which was broadcast on ITHK earlier this evening. Hi, I'm Lazy Lion, and I'm usually quite laid back. But you can count me in to fight COVID-19. Here are my tips. Don't go to work and seek medical advice promptly if you're unwell. Avoid eating out or going out if it's not necessary. Keep at least one meter apart from others and avoid contact with people who show symptoms. Social distancing can help prevent the spread of COVID-19. These are the tips for us to prevent COVID-19. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December. We'll have moments to remember. Remember. Remember.
It's the beautiful Estralita, played by Mantovani. Mantovani and his orchestra. A welcome note from Jim Reeves. Welcome to my world Won't you come on in Miracles I guess Still happen now and then Step into my heart Welcome to my world. 